having alopecia is an opportunity. It's not a disability or anything like that. Treat it as if it is something that is very unique about you. This is Alopecia Life with your host, Deanne Graham. You'll hear interviews with specialists in their field and parents who are helping their child move through life while living with alopecia areata, along with conversations with alopecia rock stars who are making a difference. Alopecia Life is here to provide you with support, accurate information, inspiring stories, and life hacks to help you navigate the world of hair loss. Whether you've just been diagnosed or have had it for ages, Alopecia Life has been created to share all the information you may want or need to do alopecia your way. Thank you for listening to this first Alopecia Life episode of 2021. There's a lot of collective hope in the world right now, and today's guests are perfect for keeping that hope going. Last month, many of us who follow news feeds about alopecia were super excited to see the Humans of New York Facebook page featuring Danielle, Connolly, and Damon. Most of the world's population is still in the dark about what alopecia is, and by sharing their story with Humans of New York, awareness exponentially rose by the thousands, and by the time this episode releases, those numbers will rise to beyond 253,000. When talking after the interview, Danielle mentioned that she would like to do more, which is something that resonates with so many of us who have been diagnosed or have family members with alopecia. We want to help others, especially in those early days. What better way to do that than by sharing their story on this huge Honey platform? We are thankful that Brandon Stanton saw this story as valuable and as one that would inform the lives of his readers. Thank you so much, Danielle and Connolly, for joining me on Alopecia Life today. Thank you for having us. We're really excited to be here. I can't believe I'm on a podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's awesome that you joined us. Um, we have. A lot of listeners who have alopecia and some who don't, some who just follow the podcast because they're interested in finding out about new things. And you guys have kind of become celebrities in the last few days. And how does that feel, Connolly, to you? It feels like a new life, but like, I just didn't believe it when my mom told me. It was just really confusing. I was just thinking to myself, did this just seriously happen to me? Like, I feel like People know me, like my friends have heard about it. I haven't heard anybody say anything about it yet. Probably after we come out of the house and leave the pandemic, I bet there are going to be a whole bunch of people coming out there and like seeing me in the world and probably saying, oh, that's Connolly. And yeah. That's awesome. It was kind of funny. He had a birthday party to go to on Friday night and I had showed them the Humans of New York Facebook post and then I took Connolly over. They were just having an outdoor fire pit movie night thing and we pull up in the driveway and all the kids are sitting out there in the driveway and his friend comes over and he goes, Connolly, you're famous. <laughs> so, that was pretty funny. That is fun. I love that. And I don't know, Connolly, if you know this, but there are... 248,000 likes, loves, and hugs on the Facebook page. That means, I mean, can you imagine that many people are seeing your face, hearing your story, and just loving it? And the other thing is, is that 5,500 people are commenting. Have you been reading the comments at all? Um, the one night that my mom showed me, we went through about probably a little bit over 100 and we read a whole bunch of them and I was really surprised. Mm -hmm. What surprised you about the comments? Well, I didn't expect there to be that many people. And I just was really 
surprised at the way people were learning so much from that and the way that they thought things before and then they heard about this and now they realize what it really is. Yeah. Yeah. I love that too. When I was reading those, that's awesome. Danielle, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, I was shocked at how overwhelmingly positive the comments were. Mm -hmm. Um, There's always a little bit of a hesitation. If you put something out in a public space, you don't know what kind of reception it's going to get. And if people um, take a negative view on something that's really personal to you like this, it could be hurtful. But it was amazing. Within minutes, it felt like it was just a big global internet, international love fest of just people understanding what it's like to be different or sharing the information and learning something new, just like Connelly said. So it felt good. It was incredible to see that. And in this one post, this one interview that you decided to give, and I think I read that you you reached out to Brandon of Humans of New York back in April. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back in the beginning of the pandemic, there was a post on Humans of New York where he mentioned something about that he couldn't be on the street and use his camera anymore. So he wanted people to send him stories. So I sent him a short email and it was a very short snip of this, what we covered here in the actual Humans of New York post, along with three or four pictures. And funnily enough, I titled the email wrong. Like I wasn't paying attention to what I wrote. And so I meant to title it brothers with alopecia or something like that. And I ended up titling it boys with slope. And so I thought to myself, after this arrived to him, he would never see it, right? There was no way that my email and all the emails he gets would ever surface, especially with that title. That is incredible. And the fact that it has reached so many and like you said, he has thousands of emails coming in and that one was noticed. And maybe that just the way it was titled just made him really go, what in the world is this? (laughs) Let's check it out. Maybe. And he told me when we talked on Tuesday, he said that he's just working through his backlog of email and he wanted to get in touch. And literally within a couple of hours, we had an interview set up. And we just talked, we spent an hour talking and he asked me questions and he wanted to know how certain things made me feel. And we explored various things that come up around alopecia. And it was a great conversation. It was really, really nice. He said he wanted to think about it. And he asked me to send him a few more pictures that would support some of the things that we had talked about. Mm -hmm. And then we went from there and he was able to pull the thread out that ended up as the post on Humans of New York. So let's talk about when Connolly was first diagnosed, right? That's that first mama bear. You talk about the mama bear instinct that comes out, but there's also that uncertainty. A lot of parents are tuning in and listening to this. And there's a lot of lost parents out there right now when their kids first get diagnosed. And they love to hear about things like this and the hope that they're given. Yeah. So Connolly was about three. And when he started losing his hair, it was coming out in the bathtub. And we were noticing there were strands of hair in the bathtub. And then there were small, you know, dime-sized spots on his head. It really hit me when he had a bath one night and one of his brothers, not Damon, Jamie, another brother, reached over, he was a baby, and he just reached over and pulled on Connolly's head and a handful of hair came out. And I cried that night because I didn't know what was happening. And I knew that whatever was happening was scary. And it felt like it was happening to me rather than something that, you know, 
is in the world and happens to people, but it felt very, very personal that my child was undergoing something like hair loss without a, a reasonable explanation. To me, it wasn't reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started going to various doctors. We started with a dermatologist and then we ended up with an Eastern Western medicine doctor who said we needed to eat more whole fruits and vegetables and change the dietary balance of certain nutrients. And, and I'll admit, we tried a lot of different things and we always held out hope that Conley's hair was going to come back for the first year or so. And then we found NAF and then we found other people and we did our research and I'm actually in clinical research as my job. Mm-hmm. And the more I learned, the more we just realized that Conley's perfect as he is. And we didn't need to treat the alopecia. We just needed to let Connolly be Connolly, And we need needed to take the ebbs and flows that come with alopecia and we needed to find ways to support Connolly's self-esteem while he grew up in as normal a way as possible. But I think one of the things you were going for here is the sense of grief that comes when you have a child that loses their hair. It's very personal, losing your hair or watching someone you love lose their hair. And you do go through all the stages of grief just like you would if you were mourning any other loss in your life. And it's, it's real and it's serious. And I think that that has to be acknowledged with parents who go through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for that. That's really a great message to send. I do have a question about, I know you're an epidemiologist. Is it conflicting to kind of be on the one side where you're knowing about the research that's out there and you know, jack inhibitors and all sorts of things like that. And then there's this other side that you're saying, well, we're not going to really do that with the kids because we do want to encourage, like you said, that confidence building and, and things like that. And not really saying there's, there's anything wrong when we say, okay, let's take this, let's try this, let's do this, let's do all these other things. So is there kind of a conflicting notion with that? Yes and no. It's, when you're dealing with kids, I think you have to make decisions about what makes sense for the stage of life that we're in. Mm-hmm. And Connolly, as a four-year-old without hair, was just as vivacious and healthy and happy as Connolly with hair without hair. It, it didn't matter one way or the other. And so I look at it that way. You know, when you're looking at quality of life and how you're living, everything is fine if you treat it or if you don't treat it. But I do think that there comes a time when that may potentially change. And when Connolly's old enough to make those decisions, it's not going to matter what my background is at all. It's going to be the information that we present to him. And we say, you know, here you go. Let's do this research together. And then you be an informed participant in your treatment. What do you want to do? Um, would you like to try this option? Another thing to think about, especially in the alopecia world is, what do you really gain from the treatment? For me in particular, as a parent, if you could tell me tomorrow that there was a treatment that was offered that had no side effects, that was an easy treatment regimen and gave my child back a absolutely full head of hair, I would really consider that. But because the options on the table right now are none of those things, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, no matter what, you're going to balance something or another. There's no guarantee you're going to get a full head of hair. The treatment regimens aren't necessarily always particularly easy. And some of the side effects, I mean, yeah, we have options out there, but when you balance everything else out, it doesn't balance to the point 
that I'm willing to make that decision for my child. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I love how that kind of gets back to the story because Connelly, you expressed to your mom that you didn't really want her to come into class, right? And talk to the students about, you know, your hair loss. You wanted to kind of just deal with it on your own. And until there was a date that you said, you know what, I think I could use some help, mom. And do you remember when that was? I think the first time that my mom ever asked me was, I think I was a little bit struggling. Kids were asking a couple of questions, but like, it wasn't too bad. The time that I asked her to come in was the time when it was coming around a lot and a lot of people were asking. There were a whole bunch of questions. Some kids were a little bit scared of me, but not too much. I felt like that was really the time because I didn't really know what to do. Like if there's a small amount, I bet I could deal with it. And I probably did. But then I felt there was eventually a time where I just couldn't do it myself. Yeah. And can you tell me about what you guys ended up doing? We asked the grade if we could come into the school and inform all the classes in my grade about alopecia, what it is and how I have it. There's different types. And it really made an impact. People were informed. And then did you feel like there were other grades and things that maybe could have heard it more? Or do you think that the word just kind of spread nicely in those four classes, right? There were four fourth grade classes? Yeah, yeah I think they just slowly spread. Mm-hmm. Word of mouth gets around. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, it does. What did you think of that, Danielle? Did you feel like that was exactly what you had pictured when it did happen? I think it was. So there's there's a part of me that would have loved to have gone in and done a full assembly with everyone in the school. Mm-hmm. And I was the mom who, behind the scenes, leading up to this, kindergarten, first, second, third grade, I would always drop off some information to the teachers at the beginning of the year and say, just as a heads up, you know, here's a little bit of information about what alopecia is. Take a look at it. Let me know if you have questions. If you hear anything from the the students with questions, I'm always, you know, happy to to follow up and answer some questions if Connelly wants me to come in. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have a lot of comments from kids in school until around fourth grade. Connelly's been in in the same school system with a lot of the same children for a really long time. And honestly, I don't even think a lot of them even noticed he was bald for a long time. One day we were just having a picnic with a neighbor family and his best friend was standing next to him. And I just jokingly said, Hey, Baldy or something in an endearing way to Connelly. And Xavier just kind of stops and he looks at Connelly and goes, Connelly, you're bald. (laughs) So I do think that there's like a sweet spot in Mm -hmm. kindergarten first, maybe even into second grade where the kids Mm -hmm. don't see it as much and it doesn't become a defining characteristic. And then after that, as they start to mature and they start to make their friend groups, that's where we started to see that it wasn't affectionate anymore, always on the playground, that there were some times where things were pointed and sometimes where there was exclusion that happened. So that's where we had the discussion and we decided that it was time to go in and have a talk there. And from there, a lot of the kids have siblings that are in other grades. The guidance counselor came that day and accompanied us to the classrooms and helped reinforce the messages about inclusion of all, not just alopecia, but she Mm -hmm. tied everything back to including all people. And a good lesson for fourth graders also asking questions where you actually need the information, you know, not going over to somebody and asking unnecessary questions because not everything is your business. Um, So she tied some of those things back into it in a very short segment at the end, just to kind of cap it off. And I do think that the information spread through the school pretty well. Awesome. 
Connolly, you're, you're at online school right now, but are you going to be going into middle school? Is it next year or would you be going in right now? Currently, I am in middle school. You're in middle uh, school. Arlington Public Schools, we start at middle school at sixth grade and then go to eighth grade. Okay. And are you anticipating any additional things that you might need to express to multiple teachers? That's kind of going to be a new thing, right? Having multiple teachers. Yeah. So do you feel like you need to talk to any of those teachers in the same way like you did before? I don't think so because I think they understand a little bit more. Maybe I think they get it. Mm -hmm. There is definitely more awareness two years from the time that you went into your classroom to now. I think there is so much more awareness. And then this article, of course, is, you know, like I said, making you famous. So they don't need to, they don't need to be talked personally about it. They're just going to know. When Damon was going into kindergarten, there were some things that were cropping up that were really similar to your experience in the fourth grade, right? I think I heard about his struggles as he was talking to my mother. And I think that was the same thing that happened to me. And the reason probably suggested maybe we should go and talk was because I was struggling a little bit. I feel like it's a little bit different when you're at that age and kids are talking to you in that way or asking you questions that you may not know the answer to. Compared to what I had done, I think the way that you may have felt was harder on him rather than to me. Because when you're in first grade or kindergarten, I think you find things to be more hurtful easier. Maybe if we haven't had gone in, it may have gotten worse. Yeah, that's great that you recognize that and you just kind of jumped on that and said, let's go in, mom, let's talk about that. So, Damon. Would you be interested in telling me a little bit about your alopecia experience? What's it feel like to have alopecia? Mm, fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember when you asked if anybody could give you your hair back? Do you remember any of that? <laughs> I am kind of wondering what you think about having Connolly as an older brother who has something in common with you. Is that helpful when you go to class or play sports or do any activities? Yeah. Are you in kindergarten this year? No. First no. Grade. Okay. I thought you were a little bit older. All right. So last year in kindergarten, did your mom and Connolly come in and talk to the classroom about alopecia? Yeah. Yeah. Was that helpful? Yeah. Did you also talk about it? No. Did your classmates have questions for you? Yeah. Some. Do you remember what they were? How do you get alopecia? Mm-hmm. Did you answer that question? No. No. And Danielle, when Damon was diagnosed, were you totally shocked? Were you kind of like, what is going on here? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It felt like deja vu again. I guess, can you have deja vu again? It felt like deja vu (laughs) Uh, in that we were going through some of the same things. It started with a really small patch. That small patch stayed really small for a while. And the biggest difference was I knew what it was. And I knew that we couldn't necessarily control the outcome of where we were going. And so we never sought treatment for Damon. There was never a time where I went to a dermatologist or an Eastern medicine doctor or anything that would have been a treatment type option. At his next annual physical, I walked into the pediatrician with Damon and I said, oh, look, he's got alopecia areata. And she looked at his head, she said, sure enough, yeah, he has alopecia areata. And that was it. So we didn't move through the same types of mechanics that we did when Connolly was diagnosed. I think part of it was knowing what it was. Part of it was acceptance. But what didn't go away was the grieving process. So the grieving process was very much similar in that I was angry. 
I asked why, why my kids, why did I have two children that had the same condition? And eventually it comes around to tears and acceptance. So Damon was much younger than Connolly. Connolly was about three when he was diagnosed and Damon was 18 months when I diagnosed him. Um, And then by two years old, you know, he was in his medical record. And he has actually gone through the cycles of alopecia a couple more times than Connolly has. So Connolly lost his hair and he goes back and forth a little bit between alopecia areata and alopecia totalis. Mm -hmm. And Damon has gone back and forth from having a full head of hair through all the cycles of alopecia to no hair, back to all his hair a couple of times. Mm -hmm. So it's different. It cycles differently for him. So I do think that Damon has gotten a little bit of a calmer parent (laughs) through this whole process than Connolly has just because I knew what I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. And you have a third son as well, right? I do. I have one more. His name is Jamie. Mm -hmm. And Jamie has so much hair that he has enough hair for all three of the boys. And he's got thick eyebrows and very full eyelashes. And I just look at him sometimes and I think, really? All the hair went to you? But but it's okay because they're all beautiful. They're Mm -hmm. all wonderful. And one thing that is remarked on quite a bit about Damon and Connolly is, wow, they have great head shapes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. I hear that a lot as well. (laughs) And what are your thoughts about, I know a lot of people when they're child is diagnosed and there's a sibling that has hair, a full head of hair, like you said, Jamie has, and there's something that lingers, right? There's a little bit of fear that that this may happen with Jamie. What kind of conversations have you had with Jamie about him maybe facing this reality or, you know, maybe, maybe there's nothing that needs to be said, but I think oftentimes the child has opinions and thoughts about it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was a period of time where Damon was going through his first cycle of losing his hair, where Jamie actually asked me why he didn't have alopecia, but it was in a, like a way where he felt like he was left out. Mom, Mm. why don't I have alopecia like my brothers? That's not fair. And Mm. and so that was kind of interesting. I think he was about five at the time, four or five. It was a little bit uh, disconcerting for me to hear that question. But other than that, he really, he hasn't said anything about fears of losing his hair. Mm -hmm. One thing that I think is interesting is when I talk to other parents of children, especially if they have one child with alopecia and they have another with full head of hair like Jamie, they'll ask me, how do I get past the fear of one of my other children losing their hair Mm -hmm. because of the potential genetic link? And I said, well, it happened to me. It did. I had a second child that lost his hair. We went through the whole process again with grieving. It was smaller and lower, but you move on. And I can't live in a state of fear that it's also going to happen to Jamie. If I live in that place and I don't do a little bit of just letting go, then I'm going to tie up a lot of my emotional energy in an area that's not productive. Right. Connelly, do you have any recommendations for anyone who's been diagnosed? I mean, adults or kids right now, do you have anything that you'd like to say? Having alopecia is an opportunity. It's not a disability or anything like that. Treat it as if it is something that is very unique about you. Not many people have this in the world. Does it really affect us in a bad way? I don't really think so. Be proud to have it. Be happy about it. Yeah, that's a great message. Thank you. And Danielle, what about you? Do you have something you'd like to share? Uh, So I think that... Having alopecia, especially when you're a child, is an opportunity to build resilience. And it's an opportunity 
to teach kindness in all things because you never know the struggles that somebody else may be going through. I think that being bald is very apparent and you can't miss it. So people very quickly see that you have a bald child or you may be bald yourself and they make assumptions. They also don't recognize that they probably have things about them that could be as difficult or more difficult than what a bald person is going through. You just can't see it because it's not right there on the surface. It's not so apparent. So I know it's a good empathy building thing to have. As much as I would love to have all of my children be perfectly physically healthy in every single way at every moment, I'm grateful for the resilience and empathy that this has put within my family. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks for that. And I just want to thank both of you for being here with me today. Thanks, Deanne. Have a great evening. You too. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you have questions or comments you would like to share with me, Danielle, or any of the boys, we are all happy to answer them in the Alopecia Life Facebook group or on Instagram. I've also linked to the Humans of New York pages for you to read the story if you haven't had the opportunity to do that. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening. Join our Alopecia Life Facebook group and find out more information at headonlifecoaching.com. The information on this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment and is meant for general information purposes only. If you're enjoying these episodes and finding the tips helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to and download podcasts. Podcasts.